I was just going to say, out of curiosity, have you ever gotten your eggs tested? Like we talked about testing the grass and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, have you ever gotten one of your, or a dozen for sampling, a dozen eggs tested? So I have not, what? but that is, def- that is something I will be doing this next season. Um, once, so the challenges I've been facing are, you, you alluded to something way back, I don't know, an hour ago about shipping or getting the things you need in time to do the things you want to do. Feed has been a challenge for me. And until I can find, well, I shouldn't say find, the word is not find. The word is until my setup is such that my feed is consistent for the entire season or, you know, whatever. I've had to switch feeds a lot because of supply, because of price, locality, what have you. And so I don't feel like it's a fair picture to test eggs right now because they could change in a month okay. if, I have to, if I have to change feed again, right? So once I'm at yeah, my, once sense. I'm on, but hay is another story. Hay is cut. It's in a bale. You take a sample from 40, 50 bales. You get a pretty clear picture of what you're going to feed your animals for the rest of that year. Feed comes in a bag. It's made the week. You buy it usually, you know, maybe two weeks before you buy it. Um, And so the seasonality of that can change a lot. So until I get a consistent supply that I can depend on, I'm reluctant to, it's not cheap. It's not $27 to get your eggs tested like it is to get your hay tested. It's quite a bit more, but I think it is worthwhile. There are organizations, uh, the American, let's see, APA. American Pastured Poultry Producers Association. APPA, A-P-P, three Ps, A-P-P-P-A dot org, I believe, might be dot com. They have some excellent research that they have done testing eggs. So pastured eggs versus what they call conventionally raised eggs using a non-organic feed in a barn, no grass underneath the chickens, what have you. And the nutritional breakdown is pretty shocking how, how they're, and, and, and it is uh, an app of video. So I don't know what they're not telling us. Um, but the good news is that there's some really key nutritional ingredients that have, we've been told that are good for humans um, that, that, are, that pastured eggs have. So they're triple in, um, I forget the, the term antioxidants or something omega-3s maybe it's some anyway there's there's all kinds of nutritional values that they have studied and pastured eggs win on those that they talk about i don't know the whole picture um so that's why that's why i would like to know for myself please test these two dozen eggs this is a conventional dozen i just bought at the grocery store and this is my dozen that i made give me the data for those two dozens of eggs and then maybe we can come back and talk about that on your show again because I would be fascinated to see the result. I really would. And then, and then I'll throw in a dozen. If you're paying for it, I will throw in a dozen of mine just to see the soy versus non-soy, just out of curiosity. Exactly. Because yeah, we, so, we yeah, talked about that is, when I was at your place. Yeah. Right. Right. My 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 feed is no soy, no corn, no canola, organic. So that's just 
Oh, yeah. you're you're running no soy? I thought you said you were running soy to get the protein content up. We were. If, if, that's what I'm th- that is an example of what I was saying about my feed has changed over the over the summer ah, because I have been I have okay. been trying to dial my chickens in as far as lay rate consumption. So here's an interesting if, I don't know this shouldn't take too long but I was buying a local feed I actually started out because I couldn't find organic feed. I was feeding conventional feed and which is just, you know, over the counter, big box feed. Mm-hmm. My chickens would eat 150 to 165 pounds of that a day. So three bags plus a day. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember what I was paying 16, 25 a bag. So that's, let's call it uh, mm-hmm. that's what, 48, $49, 48.75 or something like that. For to feed my chickens for one day, fifty bucks. Um, organic feed costs almost fifty percent more. So you buy a fifty pound bag for sixteen and a quarter. An organic feed is twenty four to twenty five dollars for the same fifty pound bag. So it's an extra eight bucks. So it's about fifty percent more money. But mm-hmm. eating organic feed, my chickens actually almost 60% less. <laughs> what? I couldn't wow. believe it. Really? I could not believe it. So I tested it recently. I Because I couldn't... I, I, I keep copious records of everything. Every egg that gets laid, I have in a notebook. Every feed bag, I, I have a notebook. But I just was really curious. I thought... Was I seeing something weird or did I, you know, so I, I went back to a conventional feed momentarily for 30 days or whatever it was. And I tested it. It was about 150 to 165. And this is when the birds are fully adult. They're most, most of them are laying. There's no big major changes. And then I switched back to organic feed. Sure enough, 60% less feed. And the only thing I can think of is the nutritional content of that organic feed is that much higher. It's better. Maybe, maybe it's harder to digest. So it sticks around longer. I don't know, Hmm. but there, there has been no, no change in lay rate. There has been no change in chicken feather loss or, you know, whatever. I'm not raising meat birds, so I don't know their weights. I don't process them to know that. Um, But anyway, blew my mind. So that's crazy. I've never heard that before. Well, I, I, this is another conversation I was having with myself debating do I really need to be organic feed? Nobody really cares about that, right? Nobody really cares, really. <laughs> I'm talking myself out of organic feed because it's so much cheaper to buy conventional feed. Read the label of conventional feed, though. What are you getting? You're getting uh, byproducts and wheat uh, chaff and whatever. It's 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 not the whole grains. They do add supplements. It's not like uh, it's it's not hurting your chickens, but it's I guess McDonald's versus making your own hamburger at home with bread that you made yourself and all the things. Right, you're getting one yeah. that's a a version of food, and the other one is real food, and it's not going to kill you, but it's not going to help you as much as the real stuff is. And the consumption rate really blew my mind. And I thought, well, God, maybe they don't like it. Maybe they're not eating it. My, my lay rates haven't changed. The chickens aren't killing each other. There's no feathers flying around. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not acting like they're starving or 
it's just bizarre. It blew my mind. And I thought, well, maybe it was the pasture. Maybe they, got, maybe they got on a really rich chunk of pasture. And I'm like, dude, your pasture sucks. <laughs> There's nothing out there for them to eat except cheatgrass seeds and some mustard heads. So until I have a real lush pasture of green grass, I think that argument settled itself. So it really was. I think my opinion is that the, the organic feed that I was feeding them was that much more. It was better for them in the form of satiation. It satiated their 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 hunger, and I don't know. Maybe it was because it's a a, a mash com- compared to a pellet. They it took them longer to eat the same amount till they got full. Right, a pellet they can eat one pellet and they okay. can just keep pounding pellets until they're just gorged with food and they eat right, almost all yeah. day. So if it, if the pellet size gets smaller and smaller and smaller, they have to work harder to get full, but they still get full and they're getting better nutrition at the same time. I don't know. I, I've, I'm sure someone's written a paper or a book or a YouTube video about this. And it was one guy's observation. So Take it for so what it's on worth. your balance sheet. Does that does that make it a wash going organic versus not organic, or are you actually in the green a little bit by going organic? Yeah, when I did the math, it actually saved me a couple bucks a bag to go organic because the bag lasts longer. So instead of three bags a day, I'm using one and a half, one and a third. And so okay. I got that little tiny extra bit of feed over the course of a year makes a huge difference financially. When you add up that dollar or two dollars times three hundred sixty-five days, that's an extra seven hundred bucks. It's like hell yeah, I'm doing that because God knows, you know, I can use all the padding <laughs> I can get on profit. So definitely, yeah. Now, um, like, kind of like a. I guess like a principal question per you like personally. Now, if it was, if it was completely even across the board, like as far as financially, you know, they, they eat 50% less, but it's 50% more in cost. So like it's financially like a wash. Um, but like, you know, you said like organic feed is harder to come by. Would you still do it? Well, I, at first I thought I was going to have to drive three and a half hours each way to pick up this organic food. And that was a deal breaker. I can't, I can't do that every two weeks. I can't drive seven hours plus loading for an hour, unloading for an hour. I I can't do it at the whole day gone just Mm -hmm. on principle of having organic food that's locally produced. Um, I experimented purchasing organic food uh there's a brand called scratch and peck i think they're um, mm-hmm. either oregon or, oregon or texas i don't know where they're from but uh, great food man chickens dug it super expensive compared to conventional a little bit more than the locally produced stuff but it's a different food it's not really comparable i mean you're talking whole grains and seeds and i mean you can see it it's amazing sunflower seeds in there and all kinds of cool stuff Chickens dug it. I mean, I felt really good about feeding it to them. It's like feeding them filet mignon every day. Um, yeah, really. But it broke the bank. I mean, it's like, there's no way. 
I, I can't afford, I'd have $8, $9 dozens of eggs just to justify the cost. So, so those are the things, those are the questions I, I wrestle with. Like how much price elasticity do I have in this marketplace? If I was in Portland and I wanted to sell an $8 dozen of eggs, I'd have people lining up because they can't get enough cool shit in their food. Oh my gosh, they're organic. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you, you feed them with your left hand only? Yes. And I always wear a flower flower <laughs> t-shirt when I do it. And I use only uh, organic beard oil on my beard and all my clothing is made from hemp and they buy them. They pay anything. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to insult anybody for principle. It's just that the folks here in Montana, like my, my potential customer base here, they there are a few of those folks who will buy anything that they believe helps the earth, helps their body, is the right thing to do, animal husbandry, what have you. But there's not nearly as many as there are in a metro market like Portland right. or Los Angeles or, you know, I don't know, Austin, Texas. Um, so... I have to make those decisions based on, yeah, I can make a killer super premium egg that would cost nine bucks a dozen, but I'd sell one dozen a week and I'd have to deliver them to the top of the mountain in Missoula to the one guy who bought them. <laughs> yep. And then yep. what good is that, right? <laughs> so, and then you have to yeah, do That's a tough market here for sure. Cause I mean, wages in this area are like a third compared to let's say Los Angeles. And oh, yeah. I looked up, I looked up rent in Missoula versus Los Angeles. And for it's, it's not like exactly apples to apples, but like, let's say a one bed, one bath, maybe a studio, whatever. Like it's almost the same. It's um, ridiculous. Cases. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it is pretty crazy. So I mean, you got to your, know and, your market. And having lived in both places, I can tell you that your income earning potential in Los Angeles is way higher. Even if you don't oh, currently sure. have a job, even if you don't have a job paying a great wage, there's a job you can go get that has a great wage. Um, here, I don't know what people earn, uh, but I do know that it's a lot less, and I know that. The industries are not here for people just to go get another $80,000 a year job and then have a bunch of disposable income to buy $9 a dozen eggs because they feel like it. So right. I totally get it. And that's why I have to kind of play this balancing act of, well, and that's why I have a range of prices. I use my overall sales mix to cover my cost and make me money. Hopefully over time, I grow in customer loyalty. They talk about the amazing um, cakes and pies and things they make with my eggs or the breakfast spread they make or the restaurant decides he's going to go big on brunch and he's going to buy a lot more of my eggs, what, whatever. Um, fantastic. Those are all ways I can grow. I just don't see myself ever being a, um, a bougie $8 a dozen egg. I, I think they're worth it. I'd love to be able to make that much money off of my eggs. They cost yeah. me right now about three forty-five a dozen to make because I, all my birds aren't laying and I'm using a high cost feed to make them. So my cost 
is almost $3.45. I cannot possibly sell them for less than that. I'd lose money every time I sold an egg. So I have to sell them for five bucks. That's my base price. Six bucks is better. Six ninety nine is better. But you hear a six ninety nine egg, and you're like, "Holy crap, that's ridiculous!" Not really. I have real costs. Yeah, given that... given the latest uh, kerfuffle, I guess, uh, which which we can go into. We've been kind of dancing around it a little bit here. Um, we're gonna get a little controversial maybe a little political so everybody just calm down um <laughs> did uh <Can't> wait <laughs> yeah did the government's response to covid impact you in any way actually hmm um in a way very, very roundabout. Uh, we moved here in November of 2020. COVID had pretty much run the hardcore course in 2020. I had COVID in January of 2020. One of the first people that I knew to have it. Wow. Um, my wife Patient was traveling. Zero. Congrats. Well, no, 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 no. I was just lucky. My wife travels all over the place, all over the country for her job. And she traveled to Europe and brought it back to me. I got it. Spent four weeks on the couch. Anyway. Um, Holy smokes. That's it was a long bad. time. It was bad. It took me three months to get back on my feet. Um, anyway, but I, I got it early, but I wasn't a farmer then. So it really didn't impact me. We moved here in November. Um, I started in earnest the farm. By that time, COVID had sort of peaked and we were thinking we were out of the woods. We were thinking, oh my gosh, 2021 is going to be an awesome year. Um, and that's how the way I proceeded. Um, Montana's economy seemed to be really doing pretty well, considering how small of a state it is and the level of income folks have here. And there was, you know, shortages of stuff. I mean, people were buying whatever was available. So Food seemed like a natural business to get into because you couldn't buy meat in the grocery store for most of last summer, um, you know, or they were rationing. You could only buy five pounds per family or whatever. You go to the grocery store, they had rules around that stuff. You remember the toilet paper thing. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, sure, I'll just start a local business. And so, no, I, I think the short answer is I don't really think COVID negatively affected me other than personally getting it. And then I got it again, January of 2021. That time I got tested. They didn't have tests for it back in January, 2020, but the symptoms were identical sure. to the second time I had it. So I know I'm pretty sure I had it twice. Um, wow. Huh. Other than that. And then, you know, out, other than that, no, I don't think I really was affected by it. I do know of other farms that had to switch completely their business models. They selling exclusively to restaurants or, a big portion of their business was to restaurant. And then when those restaurants mm -hmm. shuttered, they had to pivot and find another outlet for an existing herd of cattle or layers or meat birds that were already on the pasture, you know, whatever. Uh, luckily I didn't have to deal with that. So no, the, the, the issues huh. that that's interesting. To, I think the issues related to COVID were shipping accessibility of ingredients. So feed, 
the costs of goods. Like I bought some, some new tools during COVID that cost me 20%, all the costs of materials, lumber, especially 200% increase in cost of lumber. I was building chicken coops and, you know, things like that. So, I mean, I guess that, that is a, that is definitely a manifestation of the COVID experience of shortage. Um, but the government's response, not really. No, uh, we didn't okay. qualify. F- we didn't qualify for any of the relief money because we didn't, we didn't lose anything. You know, I didn't have any employees. Sure. I still don't. So, um, but just the sort of cultural um, stress of COVID. Yeah. That, that affected me more than what the government did for sure. I guess I was, what when I wrote this question as just kind of like general questions to to people uh, the questions that I want to ask farmers, you know, when I was thinking of this this concept is um, is Bo's story, uh, like because so they built a, like a new processing facility, my company that I work for, we, we wired their refrigeration units and freezing units and their processing line and all this thing. It's, it's, it's a very nice facility. And, you know, we were just, Bo and I were just talking and he had said that, um, you know, that he would, he would get shipments of birds that they would all be dead because they sat on like the back of a loading dock for a day too long or two days too long or whatever. And so it's like, Oh, okay. So I got a box of, let's say 400 or four, I don't know what its volume is, but like 400 could be 4,000 baby chicks. Thanks. You know, now I get to take a, take a backhoe and bury them all or whatever. Yeah. And so like, you know, things like, you know, the, uh, the essential worker type of thing, like, Oh, you can only do this if you're an essential worker and you know, you need to do this and you do that. So like he, um, and I really need to get him on um, at some point so he can properly explain explain it all. But yeah, they, and, and you're you're, you know, you're telling like that, that story reminds me that I did have I did buy my 400 chicken my layers this this year. I started I placed my order for them in February, knowing that I was going to have them. Um, I needed to have them by April so I could have production going. Mm-hmm. My first, so I ordered 200 birds from a hatchery one hatchery. And I think I had three variety of birds in that mix. 200 birds showed up. As you described Bo's experience, my birds showed up one day longer than they were supposed to. It should have been two days shipping. It took three. 35 of those birds were dead in the carton. 165 of them. 165 of them went into the brooder that night. I had to drive to Missoula to pick them up. They didn't deliver them to my house. Like there's no way I was going to wait. It would have been another, another day. No, um, no, no. So, um, we brooded them by the next morning. We'd lost all but 75. Whoa. So, so we lost 125 total in the 12 hours between the time I picked them up and the 12 hours later that next morning. And so that's where we lost a couple here and there. So the short was we lost a hundred and I think it was 135, 140 chicks. The great news was because of it, because of a delivery delay that the USPS, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened. I'm not upset with them. It is what it is. 
Um, luckily, the hatchery had a two-day guarantee on live delivery. So I contacted them. They said, no problem. Oh, I know what it was. It was not COVID. It was actually the polar vortex that came down and hit Texas and caused all that mayhem in the south mm. and froze all the power lines and all that. It was that same time window. And so the USPS put a moratorium. I, my chickens were already in the mail when that all happened. They, that two-day window, it was that same exact time. So I contacted the hatchery. They said, no problem. We will replace your chicks free of charge. But the USPS has put a moratorium on live animal shipping because of this post polar vortex backlog that they have built up. So they admitted that their, their systems were so overloaded because of the, the weather related delays, maybe COVID related delays. I don't know, but the story was okay. it was weather, weather related delays. Um, and so they took a week off said, we, we are not going to accept any more live animals. We can't get them there reliably. Give us a week. We'll be back. The hatchery said we're going to give them two weeks and it actually turned out to be three because they, they, the backlog was still just churning through. So I got my 140 replacement chicks. They also took three days to arrive. But, oh, no. But I think the weather conditions were more favorable and I only lost like a dozen out of that 140. But the problem is now I have... 65 ish 60 chicks mm-hmm. that are four that are four weeks old <laughs> and another group of chicks I didn't have two brooders right so I had to make a brooder in a room and set up a whole new system so that my four day four week old chicks wouldn't kill my day old chicks and just defeat the entire purpose so anyway because of that experience, I decided to buy locally and I bought another round of chicks and, and a fourth round of chicks to get my whole 325. I was kind of scrambling to fill my, what I thought was going to be one order of 400 chicks and be one and done. And they'd all be the same age and I'll get them all the same day and everything would have been fine. So this was kind of a cluster on timing. And that's why right now out in that pasture, I'm getting lay rates of 50 to 60% because 75 of those birds still have a week to two weeks to go before they'll start laying because they're that fourth group, that oldest fourth group. Anyway, it's those nuances of detail are really, they stick in my craw. (laughs) The reality is every farmer goes through crap like this. It may be pig farrowing. It may be rain cycles when they're trying to grow of wheat or something, you know, it could be calving seasons, whatever, but it was just, to me this year, it was, uh, it was shipping related issues. And it sounds like, um, the guys at living river farm had the same, the same problem. Yeah. But that was, that was 2020. That wasn't, um, 2021. Uh, so that was, that was all specifically COVID related. Last year, I understood you couldn't buy chicks. People bought them up so fast, like the toilet paper. They just went, oh, my gosh, I can't find meat in the grocery store. I guess I'll grow my own. And you couldn't buy a chick last year. And if you weren't, yeah, if you weren't they were, already they were gone the as soon as they hit the, yeah. Yeah. 
you were on the calendar, you were out of luck. And that's why in February of 2021, I got my orders in. I had a thousand meat birds ordered. I had all my 400 layers ordered. I had my calendar already planned out. I knew where everything was going to happen. And then, yeah. So <laughs> plan and then plan to throw the plan out. <laughs> yeah. Plan to throw the plan out. Um, so kind of leading into that or this, uh, do you feel like the government needs to be more or less involved in how we produce food? I know I'm getting heavy here, uh, on the end here. I got some, I got a couple lighter questions after this, but no, that's a good question because it's not, it's a nuanced answer. I think things I appreciate about what our government does for our food supply is the impression of safety. I like the emphasis on impression. Well, because everything is an impression. I think we can't know the truth about almost anything. We, we believe what we believe, whether it's a, what a politician says or a government agency says, or your neighbor tells you some story, you're allowed to believe as much of that or as little of that as you want. The powers that be, government, experts, media, whatever, and media of all stripe, not pointing the finger at any specific type of media, podcasters. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of um, effort put on getting people to listen to them. As our culture evolves, it becomes more and more apparent that people who are looking for eyeballs, clicks, listeners, viewers will say and do and represent the information that gets them that result. The clicks, the viewers, the listeners, the time spent watching. Sometimes the capital T truth there may be an essence of it in there somewhere, or sometimes it's just straight up BS just to get you riled up and make you listen. I think, and, I, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody because I think it's rampant. Um, marketers, advertisers, what have you, right? So, the impression of safety, I mean, according to what I read, according to what I see in uh, law, because I read Montana state law, I read the USDA codes, I read that information, and it looks well thought out. It looks, um, it looks like it's there for a reason. There's a funny, every time I see a goofy sign like, don't let your dog poop on the deck or something stupid like that. You're like, that means somebody did that at one time and they had to put Probably. up a sign to stop people from doing that. Well, that's kind of how I feel about laws. If you read laws carefully, 
they're not generally arbitrary. People don't just make up laws to bring people down. They're usually because there was something wrong or somebody made a point about something or somebody was being treated unfairly and they wanted to change the way the world was. So anyway, I read the USD codes. I read those those laws that allow or that tell us how many chickens we can produce in a year. And I, I like the safety aspect of it. The intention feels to me like we want to keep our people, our citizens of the country, the state, the county, the city safe from bad actors or ignorant actors, people who don't know sure. that you, you should keep stuff clean, right? But who's going to police that? Who's going to keep track of all those laws and enforce those laws? And it's just like any controversial subject you might want to bring up, whether it be gun control or border patrols or whatever, who's going to enforce the laws as scary as those laws sound, who's going to enforce them. And it's boils down to selective enforcement. So, so, okay. Not every municipality, every government agency, every city has the means or interest in enforcing all the laws. So you learn over time what you can and can't get away with and Mm -hmm. where people are getting away with stuff. Are we as a country, people, neighborhood safer or less safe? That, That to me, that's the nuanced answer. Should the government get more involved or less involved? Both. <laughs> they should get more involved in the policing of the, sh- of the stuff that's already out there and really try to understand more about what they're trying to legislate. I know that there's a whole group of folks out there in the world who really see the value of uh, like raw milk, for example, currently. Most places in the country, it's illegal to buy it. It's illegal. Well, it's not illegal to buy it. Maybe it is. It's not illegal to consume it if it's from your animal for your family, I believe, is sort of the phraseology. But sure. it, is illegal, it is illegal to sell it to somebody else, I believe. Even like a cow share would, like they've done laws well, so on that. that to right, make a that cow share illegal. is one of those potential workarounds. Well, it's my cow. I own one eighteenth of that cow. Therefore, I'm not buying the milk. I already own the cow, right? Whatever. Great. Mm-hmm. And so that's people testing those edges and trying to find those ways to get what they want out of life, despite what the government or people who think they're doing something. I, re- I guess I am of the opinion that Government people are human beings. Some of them are greedy. Some of them are uninformed. Some of them are well-intentioned. Some of them are just jerks. Okay. But on the whole, the majority of the time, I don't really feel like stuff is punitive, like just to mess with us as citizens or farmers. I think they just don't have all the information or maybe there's a bit of corruption involved. Maybe it's a, a big en- entity like, and I'm not saying this is happening, but you have one kind of meat producer saying, I don't want that other kind of meat producer to get purchased and to have as much success as I'm having because it'll take away from my sales or one kind of um, uh, ingredient that 
Science seems to say that ingredient in a food is probably not great for us to be eating, but because they have lots of money, they can control the outcome of the legislation, the lobbying, right? That and the science. Right. And they can manipulate science by posting their own, flooding the flooding the marketplace with science that they've created because they paid for it. So right. So I mean I'm not I'm not trying to say that I blindly follow every rule out there, but I do tend to look at them and scrutinize them and say, hmm, is it fair that I can't sell 1,001 chickens? Or should I really work hard to make sure that I stop at 1,000? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Joel, Joel Salatin, um... he went through this extensively and he said, I think he has an exemption of a thousand or four thousand or some number, and he looks straight in the camera and he says, "And we never exceed one thousand chickens a year." And then he walks away. <laughs> it's like the guy's a multimillionaire, and it's not because he's selling a thousand chickens a year. I guarantee it. Yeah. So, anyway. Yep. So, so I, I mean, I think the answer is both. I would like to see smart legislation that allows people to do what's safe and reasonable and prudent. Do I think you should be able to process a chicken in a dirty bathtub in your bedroom? No, I think that's probably a, a good rule to have, but is it safe to process chickens in a pasture on sanitized equipment in a mean, in a processing uh, model that? is basically the open air market of history, right? Um, can I produce a clean chicken? Hell yes, I can. I've done it every time. Mm -hmm. So, but maybe I'm special. I doubt it. I think a lot of people have good <laughs> intentions. Nobody wants to make somebody sick in this industry. Nobody. That's, that's suicide. Nobody in their mm -hmm. right mind wants Absolutely. to hurt, or hurt a customer, hurt their family. So there's a certain degree, and I guess you might call that, um, what is that? Uh, cause no harm. Uh, it's not, not Democrat or Republican. It's the middle one. It's kind of more like libertarian, non-aggression principle. Yeah. Thank you. Libertarian belief system. I'm not hurting anybody. Leave me alone. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to fall down that, that, line a lot of times like come on man but the, the beautiful part is enforcement really isn't that strong so no one's really kind of creeping up behind me saying hey can you show me records is that a thousand or a thousand one you know your exemption is only good for a thousand we're gonna ding you no there's nobody calling so i don't know have you ever tried to count a thousand chickens? Like also, have you ever tried to count more than 25? It's hard. <laughs> Dude, every time I walk out my pasture, I, I see that and I, I mentally go, that's 325 chickens. And then I will play the game sometimes. I'm like, okay, five, 10, 10. Oh, geez. I get about to 25 and it's like, okay, let's forget it. I can't. But yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. No, I mean, the record keeping, I, I, anyway, so yeah. But no, I think it's it's a complicated yeah. question, and it and if you're if you if you my my opinion is if you fall hard on one side or the other 
of that question, I would challenge you to really relax and think about the nuance of the question. Because government regulation can help you and government regulation can totally screw you. It just depends on where it sits. Right? Sure. And and if you have principles and belief systems that align with where it sits, then go government. But if you're (laughs) right. And, 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 and I think there's no political party that's immune. Depend on where, what we're talking about, who's pushing it, what the benefits are, tax codes, laws, whatever. There's always somebody who's going to benefit from the law and there's always going to be somebody who loses. So if you happen yes. to be sitting in the right chair that day, then go government. But I think there's nuance. So it's not a black and white answer to me. That's interesting. I mean, we could, obviously we could talk theory about this all day. I mean, like the laws are there. Yeah. Does it make that like, just cause the laws are on the books, does it make them morally right or morally wrong? And the people that choose to follow them, do they choose to follow those laws because they are moral laws or just laws or are they following them out of fear for repercussions of what might happen to them? Like they, sure. it's, you know, that's a very, yeah, that's, that's kind well, of I mean, all I was going to go take, with there. Cannabis legislation is a great example. It's still against the law to smoke marijuana in the United States, according to the federal government. However, how many states now have legal legalized? They started out incrementally with, legalized medical marijuana for patients Mm -hmm. who had, and now it's widely acceptable for personal consumption up to a certain value. And every state has kind of managed that, but still technically the feds can come in and shut the whole show down tomorrow if they were so inclined because it is going against federal law. That's a great case because there's a winner on both sides of that question. The winners in the states are the cannabis growers, the cannabis users, people who appreciate the freedom to do what they want to do with their body. Fantastic. The people who lose are the people who are against it. The, the cops sometimes, the legislators, the, the uh, court systems who've put away a lot of people over the years. And now they have to reconcile with, oh my gosh, we've got jails full of people who we put away for drugs that... Now that drug is legal in our state, but it's still illegal on the federal level. So we're okay, but there's going to be a reckoning someday. Are they going to let those people go? Right. I mean, those are complicated questions. Chickens feel like a lot easier question to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Where this question kind of comes from is that we we live in a very centralized food system here in the United States. There's a lot of people that go to the grocery store every day. No idea where their food comes from. Like chicken, for example, could be Tyson, Purdue, or Golden Plum. Or there might be a couple others in there, but I guess those are like the big ones. And like, you know, like to solve like a food crisis like we did last year. Obviously we saw a lot of uh, empty, empty shelves. People 
should be growing at least some of their own food. Like that's more or less why I did it for myself. Like, so that I had a freezer full of chicken, you know, that I could get wherever I want. That's why I try to reach out to local farmers, other homesteaders, maybe we can barter, I'll pay you for it, you know, whatever. So like, I don't have those connections are already made. The skills that I gain are already made. So if the shelves are empty, I'm not freaking out. Like, Mm -hmm. um, the example I give, so like we, we were talking about like regulation stuff, the example I give to people is like, so I bought that lamb from that guy down in Hamilton he can't directly sell me the the cuts of meat already processed. He has, I'll, I'll buy the live animal and pay a, I don't know, $10 transport fee, $20 transport fee to, to the um, uh, processing facility or whatever. And then they pay a $10 kill fee and then whatever price per pound to do the lamb or whatever. And then I get, I get the cuts of meat in a box. Yeah. I all, just did that. I just did like a pig I bought from my neighbor. Yeah. So the, the example I give is like, okay, so if the farmer, well, I guess in this case, the shepherd um, was to handle all that processing for me and hand me that box of meat, all of a sudden I'm going to die from food poisoning or whatever, like mishandling. Like, like you said, if people get sick, it's suicide on their part. Like, you know, word gets out and that's kind of like the free market speaking, like, you know, Hey, I got sick from so-and-so like don't buy from him. Like it's in his best interest to, um, uh, you know, do the best that he can where it really protects people. Or I I think those, those types of laws more protect the big boys, like big chicken, uh, like Tyson, Purdue, Golden Plump, that they can't directly sell to consumer to give them a layer of protection that I can't, hey, it's Golden Plump's fault that I got sick. Like, no, 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 it's, it's a processing facility. Yeah. Well, uh, those companies, a lot, of those, a lot of those companies are vertically integrated, so they own their own processing facilities. And so it's all you know, smoke and mirrors, but it's corporate law. Corporations have, you know, liability protections because they're corporations, you know, um, I think, I think even your example though is nuanced. Let's say that you did buy that, that let's say that, that, that lamb you bought, you purchased it. And I assume you paid him by the pound for a hanging weight on that lamb. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So that's how I bought my pig. Um, I bought a half a pig and the farmer delivered that pig to the processor. It still belongs to that farmer. The farmer made an arrangement with the processor that they're going to kill that pig. They're going to, they're going to process that pig into a hanging carcass. And then two people are going to buy that pig. So the processor is an intermediary in that transaction, but the processor that we used was not a processor that was an inspected facility, a state inspected facility. So 
that pig could not be cut up into pieces and sold in pieces. It had to be sold to me as a half a pig. And then me, the customer, had to make the decision of how it was to be dispensed. So cut it into 22 pork chops and three pounds of sausage and whatever. I made the decision on the cuts, the wrapping, mm-hmm. and then I, I paid the farmer for the, the hanging weight per pound. And then I paid the processor for the cut and wrap fee and half of the kill fee. So, but I still know where that meat came from. Right. If that farmer had killed that pig in his shop, hung it up in the in his cooler, let's say he had a cooler and he could control the temperature, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he hung it up in the shade in his barn and he wrapped it up and protected it from flies and mice and whatever. And then two weeks later, it's, it's cured. And now we're going to go ahead and cut it up. And he sits out there in his patio and a bunch of knives and cuts it up and wraps it up and sells it to me. Which of those scenarios do I feel better about as a consumer? Well, it's nuanced. Do I like having to have, do I like having to have a mediator, media intermediary as a requirement in the transaction? No, because I don't like people telling me what to do, but do I like the fact that this farmer who I really don't know from Adam I don't know what his skill set is. Does he understand sanitation? Does he know how to cut a, a, a pig body into parts that are edible? I don't know. I mean, am I going to get useful meat from this guy? I don't know. But I love the idea that I'm directly paying the guy who raised the meat and paying him a nice price for this. And he's keeping my cost low by cutting it up himself. So like I said, it's pros and cons. I love the fact that these guys who are cutting up this pig at the processing facility have been trained, probably certified, and they're certainly inspected from time to time by somebody who's holding them accountable for things that are gross, unsafe, dangerous for them, for the animal, for the future of my family's health, right? I like that there's a set of eyes on it that aren't mine. I don't know everything there is to know about animal safety or food safety. So like sure. I said, there's pros and cons. So I'm paying a fee that I otherwise wouldn't. If I were killing my own pig, I'd cut them up and do my best. Like I've, like when I shoot a deer or an elk, I process my mm-hmm. own animal. I do my best. And am I the best butcher out there? No, but I get it done and it's fine. And it doesn't bother me. So could I buy a live right. pig from a guy and, shoot it in my driveway and put it on a table and process it myself. Yeah, I could, but I'm busy, (laughs) you know, right? So, so for our convenient American lifestyle of, I really have no time to do a pig. Which of those two scenarios am I more comfortable with? Well, they both have their pros and cons. I'm going to go with the processor guy because that feels like some accountability to somebody. Sure. That I can, that I can say, Hey man, I got some weird meat or it was green or I didn't like the way it smelled or it, and it's not the farmer's fault. He's out of the picture. So I have someone I can talk to anyway. So that's what I mean. I, I, I try to think about, I try to break it down into small little pieces and think, well, if that one piece changed, how would I feel? If there was nobody 
keeping track of anything and the government weren't in the food process at all, man, I just might have to go to McDonald's all the time because at least it comes out in a wrapper and I don't, I just know it's probably overcooked and sanitized or something. I don't know. Just overcooked. Well, but I cook, mean, but no, there, there's, you know what I mean? You can get a medium rare hamburger. Yeah, that's yeah. perfectly safe, but McDonald's isn't going to let you have one because they don't want you to get sick. No, but I mean, you step in the back of uh, like behind the counter, like food prep area, you pull away some of those countertops. It's pretty nasty in some of those fast food places. Like, 100%. I ran one for five years. Yeah, I know so, all about it. Yes. There you go. So, I mean. Who's watching? I don't know. Yeah. The, ru- the like, rules ex- The rules yeah. exist. They say you have to wipe down your countertops with a solution of X, Y, and Z and use a disposable uh, towel or keep that towel in a sanitizing solution that is changed every hour or whatever. How often does the health inspector come by? Maybe once a quarter if they're really hyperactive. Sure. I saw yeah. my health inspector once a year for a half hour, 30 minutes wow. out of, I don't know how many thousands of hours of my operation was I actually inspected. So it's all an honor That's, system in a real way. Yeah. So that's where I kind of settle on. You just have to kind of go with your gut way back at the beginning of this kind of question. Do I believe what I'm being told? Are they taking the procedure seriously in the back room? Are they trying to be as safe with that, with the food safety as they can? Are they wiping down the counter? God, I hope so. Cross your fingers. I hope so. Yeah. And I think that I think goes... the best show that illustrates this is uh, is that show Bar Rescue. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I've heard of it. Uh, so they'll go re. It's like basically bar like renovations like well, i'm gonna turn this place around in a week type of show and um, yep they always check out like the kitchen because they'll do food prep or whatever it is like the nastiest places you've ever oh, ever yeah. seen and like these aren't just dive bars either that they do like some of them have like have a very nice appearance but it's just like their hood vents are just dripping with crap and like their fryer grease hasn't been changed in ever and just you know again it's the illusion of of safety i forget the word that you used when you started it was um the impression was it illusion the impression impression the impression of safety and it's guy. They're all guidelines, but so are so are rules when you drive your car, yeah, or buy a house or whatever. I mean, do you trust the people you're working with? And that is why I think farm tours are so important in my in, in my business. If you can come to the place where your food is actually grown and see it in the process and ask the questions you want to ask about it. Why do you do it that way? Why is that over there? What's that over there? Right. And really get, if you're curious about it, freaking awesome, dude. I want you on my farm. Come please check Mm -hmm. me out. Talk to me, grill me because I have nothing to hide. And in fact, I think you will be as excited as I am about what we're doing here but 
where I think government, and I, I've heard the term nanny state, right? That's a very mm -hmm. common phrase. It's a derogatory term. I think what happens is our country has become complacent. Again, not any political party. We haven't had a world war in a long time. So we're pretty safe and secure. And we've had prosperity for 75 years in a row. And my gosh, we have a little blip in a housing market and everybody craps the bed. And Right? I mean, we had yeah. a world war. My parents were the product of that world war ending. They were born because we were so happy it ended. Now we have a government that doesn't really, I don't, I wouldn't, I mean, it depends on your definition of take care of, but they've made it safe. We have a fantastic military. We have fantastic laws. We have great infrastructure, although we, you know, it's getting old. And we're a relatively safe, progressive, modern country with problems, but we just trust that the things that work, work. The water comes out the out the faucet. The toilet flushes away the bad stuff. I don't have to look at it and deal with it. I don't have to go carry water from the creek and boil it in my sink or my kitchen and then make it potable. It just shows up. We're taken care of as a nation. That's the whole idea of a civilization, right? So how far do we want to go? Do we want to strip away laws that make us feel safe and make us feel insecure again? Or is there nuance? <laughs> I think that's, that's a great, that's a great place to put this, this segment to bed. Cause we are running very long. Not that I'm not enjoying this. I am. <laughs> um, like I said, we could be talking theory and whatnot all night, all night. Um, I guess uh, to wrap up here, what would you tell people that want to get started? Homework is important. Pre, pre-homework. Um, Joel Salton said something in one of his books. It was either pasture, poultry, profits, or uh, beef. What are they called? The salad bar beef or the one that you mm -hmm. referenced, you can farm or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to understand is if you're going to try to grow food for money and make a living at it. And I'm, that's, that's my business. That's, I'm not a homesteader. This isn't a hobby. This is a business for me. So that's where I'm coming at this from. I honestly have no idea. I mean, hobby farmer or homesteader, or you, you want to have a day job and ha live on property. That's a whole other question. If you want to run a business that depends and then you want to put food into the food system and make money doing it, figure out your customers first, figure out where you can sell, what they're willing to pay, where do they live? How far do you have to get that product, move it to get to them? Will they come to you for it? And that requires a lot of due diligence and a lot of research. Um, there's 13 questions that you'll ask me, where do they get that information? How do they do that due diligence? <laughs> um, ironically, the government has a lot of that information handy because we do have systems 
that talk about demographics and income levels and people's attitudes and perceptions. Um, there are publicly available, publicly available research studies that talk about people's opinions about how much money they're, they're spending on vacation or how much money they spend on food or whatever. Okay. So you may have to dig and I don't have any URLs to give anybody. I don't have any short short answer to this question. Every situation is going to be different. You may have a, a chamber of commerce office. You may have a agricultural office in your county. You may have um, a friendly restaurateur who can give you some insights. Other farmers are great resources for that kind of stuff. Talk to them. What Definitely. Are they sure. Right. Um, but know what, who you're going to sell to. And then figure out what you're going to sell unless you just don't give a rip and you just want to sell what you want to sell. And then you're taking a huge financial risk. Great. But my, my, my success depends on selling a lot. I need a lot because I need, I need money. And so I have to sell a lot. That means I have to find out what the most possible people want, which means there's a balancing act between selling a commodity product at 99 cents, like Walmart eggs, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I could never produce an egg for 99 cents and I'm not big enough, um, nor do I want to. So how many customers do I have in the marketplace that are willing to spend six bucks on a dozen eggs? I honestly don't know, but I know there are more of them in Missoula than there are in Victor. <laughs> so that's where I go to sell, right? And I got to go run around and find them. Um, go to the farmer's markets, see what they're selling, figure out what they're selling. What are the prices? Take notes, take pictures, talk to people. I mean, look at it like, imagine you're buying a business. What are the questions you would ask to do that? Well, how much money do you make? How do you make that money? What are the shortcomings of your business? All those kind of questions and answer those questions and then decide, is this something I want to do? It'll scare the hell out of you, but it's super fun. It's the it's a, best job, the yeah. best job I've ever had. And if you do go to farmer's markets and talk to farmers, buy something from them to thank them for their time. They're like, they don't like looky lose. Like you're, you're, they're being nice by answering your questions. You can at least, take the time and, you know, buy some zucchini or some whatever tomatoes from them, literally anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're there in the hot sun all day or in the rain or whatever, you know, that's just, a great point. And that, that's, I think just, go a, take just a, a courtesy, go take a farm tour and then hit their farm store when you're done. Give them the, give them the thank you of the transaction. Shop yes. local, buy the stuff. Don't buy, don't buy stuff you don't need, but man, if you need a dozen eggs, Hey, I got these for six bucks. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. That, what that's, do you think about, um, what do you think about woofers? People like work or work weekends on organic farms or, um, that type of thing like farm help. To be honest with you, I don't know much. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the term. I don't have an opinion on it because I don't, I don't see controversy there. Um, 
I think I am lucky that I'm able to do everything I do on this farm by myself with, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, I don't have hired Mm -hmm. hands. I don't have staff. I have enough hours in the day to get my chores done and still chip away at projects. Um, Maybe someday. And again, I think that comes mostly because I'm a, a privileged person who has a primary income coming in a different, completely different door. My wife, right? She makes the money and I get to play at the farm all day. Uh, I might sure. play as my play as a business though. So I'm not, it's not just me screwing around, but you know, I think if we uh, really evaluate what, what are the, I guess my, my question is people who work on farms, are they trying to learn? Is that what they're trying to learn? Pick up the best practices and habits and, understand how businesses operate and then take those that knowledge and go elsewhere and start their own farm. Is that kind of the controversy? Oh, there's no controversy. Just, um, just like some people don't like, it's more of a burden than they're worth. So when almost 10 years ago, now I worked on a, on a beef Mo- the, their primary income was beef. They had some, some dairy cows and stuff like that. Um, on, like for six weeks in Montana, and you know, I I, I just needed to get away from whatever I was doing. That was kind of like my sure. like my thing. I just whatever I was doing wasn't happy. Needed to go do this other thing. Clear my head for a while. And so she was like explaining to me how like you know oh like woofers or farm help, I guess, not just woofers specifically that your, you shouldn't run your farm or whatever operation based on that kind of help. You should be able to run it without it because they're not always going to be reliable and it takes quite a bit of time that usually they don't have to get that help up to a level that you really need them at. I mean, it's really just like training like an employee um, at anything. They're like, okay, so you paid them $15 an hour or whatever, an employee um, to start. They are worth maybe five when they start because they know nothing unless they're, I mean, we're talking brand new right out of high school, never worked a job before type of type of skills, right? They they're and so this this was me working on a farm. I've had like I've worked on my uncle's hobby farm, but he didn't have he'd had vegetables. He didn't have beef. He didn't have dairy cows. He didn't have things like that. I just had had a work ethic. Um and so it um so there's that and uh oh I had something else but I kind of forgot forgot what the rest of it was but um just well i think i think i I think i get i'm getting where your question is so there's two sides to this and i'm not familiar with the term woofer i'm sure it's, it's an acronym for something i don't know what it means but um work on farm something um yeah temporary workers or volunteers or interns or whatever um, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, I, I share the, the woman's sentiment. I am I am 
probably next year we'll be at a place 2022 i will be at a place where i need help okay i'll have so many animals dropping calves and piglets and chickens and brooding and feeding and managing tons of feed at a time and what what have you repairing structures moving animals um my days are going to get away from me and i'm not going to have time to do what i'm doing now which is the additional projects to continue to grow the farm so something's going to have to give so either i get stuck at the same level that i'm at now forever which is not my goal i want to grow every year and and so i'll have to add employees so i will be I've, I've seen people, farms in my area, take on volunteers. And I think, man, like you're saying, I have to hold this person's hand. I have to tell them exactly where the shovel is in the green shed and not the square shovel, but the round shovel. No, 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 not the trenching long skinny shovel. Let me show you. And now it takes me away from my work and now I've got to go help them which should have been a simple ask, right? Simple, simple yes. question. So I understand that question, but there's also that, that pinch point of, but I still need help. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They could leave you high and dry though. Like, Hey, you know, this, uh, mm, I'm not really feeling it just like an employee. They can leave at any time, you know, yep. they can, and that's where you have to just build relationships with people and trust them. And yeah, decide, it's decide a, early, it's decide balance. early and often is, do I trust this person enough to have them on my farm as a coworker, support person, employee, what have you. Right. And I think that goes back to a lot of how you think about the world, how you see the world. Are people out to get you or are people generally good and willing to help and yeah. step up? So that I, I can't Is this person going to show up on my property, break their leg <laughs> and then try to sue me, you know, right. like, right. Yep. All yep. these, all these kinds of things. So, yeah, this is probably not the, the best business to be in. If you're a person who's skeptical of people's intentions. Probably not. <laughs> no. And I, I, dem demographic makes a difference too, but you know, there's bad actors everywhere you go. So, you know, you there are, but it, it's, you talk about a long game, uh, man, I can't even imagine how much, how big of a pain in the neck it would be to try to game some farmer out of some profit or, <laughs> I mean, good God. Yeah. They're already, like they'll, they'll tell you they're broke, you know, all their assets is, are tied up in farm equipment and whatnot, you know? Yeah. 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 So. Well, uh, well, Hey, was there anything else that you wanted to, to bring up that we didn't cover, uh, cover yet? No. Um, but as anybody who's, if there's anybody still watching this or listening to this, um, after almost well, two and three quarters of an hour. Um, yeah. I could talk about this. This is, as I said, this is the best job I've ever had. And I've never spent this much time talking about uh, a marketing program that I did when I was an executive or any other work I've ever done. 
I it was a job. This is a passion. I really like this. It is not easy. It is not free of stress. It is not free of um, anxiety. But it's extremely rewarding. And I feel good about what we do here. I feel good that the products I'm selling to my customers are truthful in the claims that we make. The, the things we say about them are honest. It's um, not some marketing spin about, you know, does not contain nuclear radiation. <laughs> you know, it's like, come yeah. on. Man. Oh, gee, thanks. Like the milk industry does not, not does not contain PT, BTSD or whatever the, the artificial growth hormone that is illegal right. in our nation. Why do you put that on there? Because it's a marketing claim that anyway, they're preying on customer ignorance. So my pre preference is educate the customers through opportunities like this, Matt. I love this, that you're doing this. I'm excited to see where this thing goes. Um, if this if this particular interview ever sees the light of day, fantastic. If not, we've both learned a few things. So thank you for having me on. It'll this might be the only episode, but at least it'll it'll we'll see the light of day. And like I, I'll obviously send you all this uh, once it's once it's uh, finished and whatnot. And it may be, you know, we can we can chunk it up in segments, however we want want to do it. But it could be something as like a little teaser or like a fish hook for other future customers. Like, hey, if you want to know more about me, here's like a three hour interview I did. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. Here's a 10 minute segment, whatever. So like, yeah. Yeah. you know, obviously you can't, you can't spend three hours all the time with no. everybody, you know? So I'm, I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm doing you a favor, but like you can absolutely use me in trying no, it's to, a great, it's a great resource. Things. I can definitely see how this is a resource. And if there were, yeah, I might uh, say shuttle ahead to two hours and 15 minutes. That's where I get into politics. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of resources, is there a place that people can find you and follow what you're doing, website, social media, any of that? Absolutely. Our website is grazeandrome.com. G-R-A-Z-E-A-N-D-R-O-A-M, like Mary. Com. Um, we talk about our farm. We talk about our practices. We sell our products through the shop on that website. Um, Instagram is Grays and Rome. Facebook is Grays and Rome. Um, being an ex-marketer, I had to make sure that we picked a name that all those things were available. <laughs> I knew. I thought about that when I asked that, like when I wrote that question. And I was like, I bet he's got this nailed. I don't even need to ask him before we record. Yeah that he's yeah. got no, these things set I, up, so. um, I've seen a lot of brands fail at that and they can't own their own name because they picked a great name that they love, but somebody else is sitting on it. So mm -hmm. do your research, go to GoDaddy or some other website uh, reseller and see if your URL is available before I even start. I mean, having a place to park information in the world. I mean, my, my website, we just started it probably April, I think. Zero traffic, none, not a person. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then we changed our name in June or July, which was great because then you go from none back to none. 
Yeah. But since then, we've started advertising um, in the form of uh, communication through Nextdoor app, Facebook Marketplace, um, Craigslist bans you. You can't sell eggs on Facebook or Craigslist technically, but Craigslist lets them through every once in a while. And so it's little by little by little by little, we our name has been getting out there and our traffic's up about 400%, which is not a lot. When you're tiny, it's easy to get big numbers because anyway. anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the internet, grazingrome.com, social media, grazingrome. And uh, yeah, we try to put up interesting content, kind of keep it real, um, keep it simple, not not tell fake stories, you know, talk about our customers, talk about what we do, just share the the fun of what we do. So we think it's fun. Good. I think it's fun. A lot of times I wouldn't have talked to you for three hours about it. So yeah, I mean. for sure. Well, sure, yeah, man. I can have links to all those things in the show notes. And uh, thanks again cool. for uh, joining me today. It's been really great having you and uh, look forward to seeing you again. Same, Matt. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing that boy. <laughs> <laughs> man, he's he's running. We uh, I, I started trusting him carrying an egg from the chicken coop. Uh, started yesterday and today he I got him to say the word egg. And uh, actually got a got a little video on that, so that's actually on our Instagram. And um, but yeah, I'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. Right and you can follow Farm Hop Life on social media, and I'll post all that links. So hey, I uh, appreciate everyone listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.